Would you bet a few thousand dollars that you could sink an eight-foot putt? What about 10 grand that you could win a drag race against a Camaro with a thousand horsepower? If you bet $2 million, could you bet it all on one football game? Maybe you wish you could, but you probably wouldn't. Gamblers is about the people who did. From the Ringer Podcast Network, listen to Gamblers Season 2 on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Joining us now, the boss, Bill Simmons, makes his debut. Bill, how are you? They couldn't keep me off. It had been like two weeks, and I was just getting super jealous. And uh, and the past season starts on Sunday. I don't. Do you want to go glass half full or glass half empty? What do you want to do? It's your show. You decide. Well, is there a glass half full? Is that yeah. possible? Yeah. Want me to make the case? Yeah. Let's hear the case. Preseason, Belichick has rope doped it in the past. So a big part of the Pats narrative has been they've looked terrible in the scrimmages and then even in the day-to-day practice, all the beat writers, some of them you've had on and then in the actual games, just as disjointed. So this will now translate to them being bad in the regular season. All right. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe they just don't <laughs> want to show their hand yet. I'm holding <laughs> on to that. Um, the no offensive coordinator thing, which I'll admit is super unusual and I don't totally understand it, but maybe Belichick felt like, is it better to just have an offensive coordinator by committee or to bring in somebody who's going to stink and they're going to have to teach him the whole Patriot and, and then it'll actually be more of a liability because you're spending more time on that. Uh, the secondary, the safeties are going to be really good, especially against this Miami team. The defensive line, I think is going to be good. I like the running backs, um, the wide receivers, especially if they spread it out. We don't have our guy Thornton, but for the most part, um, there's some depth. And Tua, the PR campaign of of six, seven months of how great he's going to be and he's going to be unleashed, and now they finally have an offensive line weapons. I, he just hasn't passed the eye test to me. So, you know, I, I, I guess I'm I'm a little more optimistic than maybe I thought I was going to be heading into the weekend. Yeah, I can I can see some of that, and I'm completely with you on Tua. I don't understand that whatsoever. It doesn't make sense to me whatsoever why people are high on that guy. I, I don't see the avenue that he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. 
He's small. He's not athletic. He doesn't have a good arm. So basically, there's one guy that's done that, Drew Brees. I mean, that's pretty much the only guy that you could look at. And obviously, through the first couple of years, we haven't seen Drew Brees. So that's a good thing for week one. The interesting thing to me about the play calling situation, and this I just don't understand, Bill, is, okay, replacing Josh McDaniels last year, Belichick compares him to Saban. I thought that was a little bit too much. But nonetheless, obviously, right. you think he's a really good coach, according to Bill Belichick. Now, I had my issues with Josh. But then to just come back with a replacement being Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, that the, that's the thing that was so baffling to me. And my original thought was, OK, they must think that Nick Cayley is the next guy in the pipeline, because if you go back, because oh. remember the Raiders situation, he allows Mick Lombardi to go there. but you block Kaylee. So I just felt like, and we've seen a lot of these tight ends coach, whether it be Brian Dayball, whether it be Sean McVay, and I'm not comparing him to those guys, but Arthur Smith, these guys that transition from tight ends coach into the play caller, they've actually been really successful. So that was my thought at the time is, oh, this is who he thinks is the next coach in line. But then when we get the word that the competition is going to be judge versus Patricia, that's the one that was just head scratching to me. It made no sense when it felt like you had the guy in the pipeline. Yeah, I don't get it either. I was just on Mina's show talking about this and I just get nervous when people do something that's basically not been done before and then they're trying to normalize it. You know, we yeah. played football at every level dating, going down to like eighth grade, sixth grade, whatever. And as soon as it gets, the competition gets at least pretty good. There's an offensive coordinator and it's just the way we do it at every level. And for Belichick to just throw that away is one of the weirdest things he's ever done. Now, he's done a lot of weird stuff that's worked out. Like we played Troy Brown in the secondary and won playoff games. That yeah. that seemed insane. It seemed insane to wave Laura Malloy right before the season in 03. And it, it's not like he hasn't done wacky stuff, but this feels weirder than wacky. This is basically somebody saying, the three things we always thought we needed in coaching staff was a head coach, an offense coordinator, a defensive coordinator. I'm going to now remove one of those three pieces. It really makes me nervous. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, the the I'm glad that Patricia, I guess, beat out Judge because I can't take Judge. I'm not the biggest Patricia fan, but Judge, I just can't stand that guy. But in terms <laughs> of the positive thing, one thing I'm wondering is, and I know you had Matthew Berry on, was it last week that he was on your podcast? Yeah. So he had a very interesting comment. He said he talked to a source that said they're planning on using Ramondre Stevenson like Elvin Kamara. Now, to me, that seems like a little rich. Like, I don't think they're going to go to that level. But his point was essentially that he only had, what, 150 touches last year. And one of the things that pissed me off so much last season was for some reason, they shoehorned Brandon Bolden into the third down back. And I guess the idea from Bill would have been that, well, we're not sure about Ramondre in terms of pass protection. Now, this offseason, he's praised Ramondre Stevenson for his ability in pass protection, and he's been a much better catcher of the football. So my hope is that they really dig into that, because if you look at the skill guys now, obviously Thornton's on the shelf. But if you just look at the skill position players they have, who's a more talented player than Stevenson? He certainly showed the flashes last year. There were a couple of times when they, he had a fumble and all of a sudden, he, you know, you go into the Belichick witness protection program when you have the one fumble. <laughs> but I think him and Harris are really talented. Like I think Harris to me and the, the really nerdy football sites back this up. It always felt like he got the most amount of yards possible on whatever the potential was of every carry. Whereas like when we had Sony Michelle, 
Uh, I'm going to use we when I'm on this podcast, by the way. That's when we fine. had uh, when we had Sony <laughs> Michelle, it was just like, oh, you could have gotten seven, yeah, then you got three and a half again, and it just never felt like he maximized. So I really like those guys. I'm a huge Barmore guy. I didn't understand why he didn't play more last year. I'm still. I heard what you did about um, when you were talking about McDaniel's and his offense and how he basically kept it the same from the Edelman Gronk era, but yet the pieces weren't the same anymore. I really am optimistic about the Hunter Henry, John Smith combo. And I think if you're making the case for, are the Pats going to be a little bit better than people think? I think it'll come down to like, they, they don't have that number one, but they have a lot of guys who bring something to the table and depending on the matchup, they might be able to, you know, like, let's say there's a team with slow linebackers. Oh, let's put John in space and stuff like that. So I do think there's depth, but I, the part that scares me about this team is just, it's, just who are the blue chippers? Who are the elite guys? Who are the Pro Bowl candidates on this team? And if you look at who wins 10 games and up, you have to have like, you know, three awesome guys. You just do. That's the law of the NFL. And I wonder like, who are the three awesome guys on this team? Could it be Barmore? Yeah. Yeah. It could be. Um, it can't be Mac because Mac's never going to be, as much as I like Mac, he's never going to be a top six or seven QB, at least in the next couple of years. So, who else is it? They they just got rid of J.C. Jackson, who by any list was a top six or seven cornerback, and they just let him go. Um, so who are the three guys? Yeah, I guess like Stevenson, but he's a running back, right? And Harris is ahead of him on the depth chart. Barmore would be one, and then you'd have a very difficult time. Maybe Duggar emerges into that at the safety position. I mean, he's Judon. been pretty- yeah, Judon, although I don't know what the hell happened to Judon at the end of the season. Right. He, had, he didn't have a sack in the final four games. He had one quarterback hit in the final four games. So, And he's talked about it in the offseason that he's worked, so he can be better down the stretch of the year. But it's a really good point. I mean, the talent on the roster is just not there like it's been in previous seasons, which brings me I to— I guess Tr- Trent Brown, maybe. If, yeah. You know, he at least has the talent to be an elite left tackle. Yeah. So he's always worried about whether he stays in shape or whether he's going to stay in the field. But talent-wise, he's there. Yeah, I'm a little worried about him because Mike Giardi had the report that he was kind of irritated that he's getting paid like a right tackle. The Patriots didn't tell him he was going to be playing left tackle. So Trent Brown, we know that's a guy that you got to look out for because he's had issues in terms of he's only really been good for the Patriots. He's got money elsewhere, but he's only really been good for the Patriots. But your blue chippers thing got me thinking about the J.C. Jackson situation. Which, to me, I'll just never understand this, because if you look at the Belichick defenses that have been really successful, you go from having Ty Law and then Asante Samuel. Yeah, he was a bit of a gambler, but he was a really good player. He then traded for Tlaib, and then he had the ultimate hired gun in Revis. Then you go My out favorite. and give... My favorite was when oh. they got Revis for a year. It was the absolute best. That I was love the, that so much. Oh, my God. That was awesome, too. And like how they used him, where they said, okay, you're going to cover the number two, and we're doubling the number one. It was, I mean, yeah. it, was, it was unbelievable. And then they finally beat the Seahawks after Richard Sherman was mocking him. I love that they yeah. came back, and they won that game, obviously. But then it was J.C. Jackson. And this is what is... Really confusing to me. J.C. Jackson is entering. Oh, you left his- out Gilmore. We had the oh, Gilmore, yeah, Gilmore era too. Gilmore. Yeah. yeah, Gilmore. And that, of course, ended poorly, but he was the defensive player of the year, even if you didn't think he should win it. He had, well, Devontae Parker beat him like hell in the final game of the season. But Whatever. my point with J.C. is, yeah, my point with, we got him now, so don't yeah. worry about it. When you look at J.C., his he's entering his 27-year-old season. That is the same year or age that Bill signed Gilmore. And Bill gave two, and I hope these guys are 
Hunter Henry had a good season, but obviously you need a lot more from Janu. He overpaid two tight ends. You have a guy that is at least top five at his position. Why wouldn't you give that guy the money to keep him here? Because we've seen when Bill's had success defensively, he's had a guy like J.C. Jackson. So that move to me, I'll just I'll never understand it. Some of the reporting was they'd go three years at the same money, but they wouldn't do the fully guaranteed that he got from the Chargers in the extra two years. And to me, that makes no sense. So you're signing him through his 31 year old season. I don't get that one. Well, there was there an argument that the better the receiver was, kind of the shakier he was in the game. I, I remember seeing some stats well, about Diggs him. Owned, yeah, Diggs owns yeah. him. But um, what, he's got to go against Jalen Mills now. So I think he's going right. to own him too. Well, this is this comes down to roster building, right? So the J.C. Jackson thing actually goes back to the Dalton Keene and Asi Asi picks, right? They spend two third rounders. They trade up. They use more than that, more assets than just two third rounders on these two tight ends, right? They're both busts. They know right away. So then you go to the next summer and they have to overpay for Hunter Henry and John U. Smith. They gave those guys pretty big contracts. The Henry one at least paid off last year. But now because you gave the money to those guys instead of the two third rounders that you couldn't even go one for two, now you don't have the same kind of money for J.C. Jackson. I, I think... All this stuff's related. I don't think you can ever look at a specific Pat's decision without bringing up all the draft picks that they missed. And, you know, you think like if somebody takes Mac before the 15th pick, what are we looking at? Because at least with Mac from the get-go, and it wasn't just that he was the best rookie out of all those guys last year, but he was so freaking tough, man. He took so many hits last year. I, I... I was really impressed. And I think you really had to watch the Pats week in, week out. And I know people, everybody thinks they know everything about every team. But week in, week out, the punishment that that dude took, and he would just get up and get up. And it never felt like he was rattled. It never felt like his eye level changed where he was like looking where the next hit was. He got better as a lot of the games went along. I never feel like he quit. And I really think they have something with him. I don't know what his ceiling is. um, But just like if... If that pick didn't work out, where are we? If we have Davis Mills right now instead of Mac Jones, can you imagine? <laughs> no, I can't. Well, I can because we watched Cam Newton for a year, and that was right. tough to watch. <laughs> but at least, at least Mac is this. All right, we have this guy. This is something. This could be somebody who could play in an AFC Championship game. Yeah, right. Which is all you want with your quarterback. Can you? Can you be a Final Four quarterback? I think he could. Um, but I, the spending spree. I don't know. Have you ever done the full deep dive on just how weird that pandemic spending spree was with the Belichick had? Like, yeah. I still don't know the purpose of it. It was like he just didn't want to go 500 again. So he stacked that one year to go, what do we go, 11 and 6, 10 and 7, and then we get killed in the playoffs. But um, that was just so weirdly played. I don't, it was very un Belichicky. Yeah. And I think part of it has to be, I think there was at least some pressure from. Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft, like, hey. Oh, post-Brady? Uh, yeah, the Brady guy just went ahead and won a Super Bowl. Like, what the hell are we doing? Last year sucked. We got to do something. And I think yeah. the, sec the second part of it goes to what you were saying earlier is, and look, there's been gaps before with Bill. 07 to 09-ish was really bad from a draft perspective. But missing from 16 to 18 meant you had to overcompensate for guys that if Jonu Smith or Hunter Henry were elite players on their teams, they wouldn't be free agents. So you're overpaying for middle tier guys just to get back to somewhat of a normal NFL roster. And that's why 
I mentioned this earlier this week. That's why it feels like this season you could take the step back because all these teams that are really good in free agency, they get a boost the first year that spend all this money. And then yeah. the next year they take a step back. The Dolphins have done it. The Jaguars have done it. The Giants did it. Remember that one year with Eli and McAdoo? They come out of the gates. They have the whole boat right. party. And then the next year, they're just a complete joke. So I think the Patriots are really paying for that this year, which is concerning going forward because you felt really good about the draft two years ago. And I love the Thornton pick, but you look at the rest of the draft and you're wondering, is this going to be more similar to 2020 where you get, okay, you get a good player in Duggar, but what else do you really have there? Because we haven't seen much from Uche and you look at it going forward. Anthony Jennings hasn't really given you anything. So if you don't hit on back-to-back drafts, the Patriots could see themselves in a very similar position in the next couple of years. Well, in 21, they hit on three guys, I think. Mac yep. and Barmore and Ramondre. This draft, Thornton was a home run. I mean, he had that, that was a home run pick. And he's going to miss the first eight weeks. And if Pickens is good, it's going to start that whole Pandora's box. But I'm in on Thornton. Strange has been good. I, I think the buzz on him, whether you want to take a guard with the 29th pick, I don't know. Um, and then it seems like Jack Jones at some point is going to be a starting cornerback. I think they feel where they took them. So at least there's three guys that seem whatever. I think the thing that worries me, Lombardi, Mike Lombardi always talked about like the concept of team building where it's not just draft to draft for agency, for agency but like what are, big picture, what are you trying to do with your team? What are you trying to spend your money on and your resources and your assets? And I think the weird thing to me about the Pats is how many picks and how much free agent money they've spent on positions that really aren't that important. Like they have great safeties, right? I think they would have a top five safety crew. Safety is like, not like one of the six most important positions on a football roster, right? <laughs> tight end's another one. Like tight end doesn't, unless you have Travis Kelsey or somebody like that, tight end, it's like, you're fine if you have Pat Fryermuth, you know? Um, where you really need, I was looking at the Chargers and their team building, right? Where they have the franchise QB, they have awesome receivers. They have an awesome edge rusher. They have a great left tackle. They have the JC Jackson from us. And you just go through and they have elite guys at the positions you would want if you're competing. And I look at the Pats and it's like, what are what are their best positions? Well, their first rounder was a guard. They, they have really good safeties. Barmore is the only position where you'd really want somebody there. So, and then their running backs are really good, but we always talk about how running backs are a throwaway position. So yeah. that that worries me. Yeah, it's interesting too. Like, so you bring up the Chargers and think about the trade off they made. They said, "Yeah, we don't need to pay Hunter Henry, but the next year when this premier corner comes on the market, we're going to sign him." And if mm. you ask probably any other team in the league besides the Patriots, which player would you rather have? It's going to be J.C. Jackson because he plays a more important position. Which then brings me to the strange point. So. I don't have a problem with the player in a vacuum. I have a problem with the process to get him, right? So yeah. you have Shaq Mason, who was your highest rated player by Pro Football Focus last year. All you get back from him is a fifth round draft pick. So you had that position secured. And we know the offensive line was really important to Mac Jones last year and his success. So, okay, if you just kept Shaq Mason and then you have a first round pick and a second round pick, you could put that into a more important position. Like you got Thornton in the second round. Is it another corner in the first round? Is it an edge rusher in the first round? Rather than even if strange is great, it just doesn't feel like 
you're going to get the value there that you would get at another position, which it just confuses me sort of at this point in time, how Bill evaluates each position, not in terms of his actual like missing on some of the draft picks, but how he puts so much emphasis on certain positions. And to me, it's just frustrating and irritating because now Mason is playing with Brady. And I know Brady's team has had a lot of injuries right now, but he just got more money from that team. And Bill traded him away when he's in all likelihood still in his prime. Yeah, that I mean, the Mason thing is just bizarre. So you Mason, who was good. He's worth a fifth pick in the open market because he's about to get paid a little more. And then you draft use a first round pick to draft his replacement where you could just keep Mason and use the first round pick for something else. Yeah. I just don't fundamentally understand that. The, yeah. if, if if you put that in an SAT question, nobody would come up with how they played it. So yeah, the, the other thing, now it's on, now it's like a Pat's bitch session. Um, they never, these other teams always seem to have more money for players. Yeah. Where, you know, it's like, ah, we need some, oh, found, found 9 million bucks under the cushion. Let's get, we're bringing another starter. And whereas the Pats, like they, I don't know whether that's a craft thing, whether he, there's a specific number that Belichick's not to go over or, or what it is, but um, it always feels like they don't have as many bullets in the gun. And yeah. I think Brady, the fact that they had Brady for all those years at what, a 35% discount as a franchise quarterback, 40. Like if he had done any of these contracts, the guys are doing now, they never would have been able to win six Super Bowls. You can't do it with the $50 million guy. And you made this point on your pod um, previously, like you have this window with Mac. That's just, this is it. You have this guy for four years at this number. This is like the biggest advantage you can have. This is why I like the Bengals. I like the Bengals this year, partly because they have, their best two guys are on rookie contracts. It's like unheard of. They have, you know, the third or fourth best receiver in the league and probably like the fifth or sixth best quarterback on rookie deals. And they can put that money all over the place. And I, so they, to me, it's like, it's a three-year window to, you got to leverage this Mac Jones contract somehow one of these years. Yeah, and that's the thing because most of these second-year quarterbacks that were good as rookies, they're usually even better in their second. It's very rare yes. that a guy regresses. Like the exception to the rule is Baker, who kind of lost his fucking mind with Odell. And then <laughs> right. remember the RG3 situation where he like the story went that he went into the Shanahan's like coaching room and is like, hey, uh, we got to take out those plays. And it's like all the plays that made him successful. It made no sense. Most guys get better, but and he got hurt. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was just hoping for the leap with Mac. And if you look at it, if you look at sort of some of the elements, okay, well, the coaching staff has changed. The offensive line, at the very least, is going to take a step back. It hasn't been great during the training camp. Maybe they get better as the season goes on. And then the third thing is, he doesn't really have a bailout guy, right? Where it's like, even Brady, yeah. for the most of Brady's career, he had, now after they won the first three, he had Gronk, he had Randy Moss. And you look at Burrow can throw the ball up to Chase. Across the league, we see this, where teams have premier receivers and it's a total game changer, especially when they're on rookie contracts. The receivers are cheap, too. And with the Patriots, like on third down, where's Matt going? Is it Myers? Is it Hunter Henry? If Bourne gets his head out of his ass, is it Kendrick Bourne? And I just feel like that's really difficult because Brady always knew Edelman's going to be open. Welker is going to be open. Who is that guy from Mac James Jones? White. Yeah. Well, that, we you mentioned Bolden earlier in the pod. Like that was egregious. That is not somebody who should be a third down pass catching running back. 
on an NFL team that's supposed to do anything in the playoffs. And you could really feel it as the season went along. Teams just weren't afraid of them at all. And I, I personally believe that's the easiest position to pick up dudes either from practice squads or off that you see it over and over every year in fantasy. There's three guys that come out of nowhere in like week eight. You're like, who's this guy? Who's the guy who had 10 catches or 120 yards? So that's tough. I, I do feel like with this team, the totality of like the decent to pretty good weapons they have offensively is just better than last year. Right? Like, yeah, Parker, Parker has a specific skill set that they were hoping Nikhil Harry would have. And needless to say, he did not. Aguilar, who I don't think they used correctly last year, just send him deep twice a game. Just do it. Yeah. Just chuck it downfield. I thought McDaniels, it felt like it was a lot of resume building with some of the calls last year. And yeah, I heard you express your dissatisfaction. This is like the biggest topic with me and my dad where it'd be like the second and three draw play that loses two yards that Ugh. you could tell from your couch is going to be the draw play or like, you know, the delayed screen to Brandon Bolden that loses four. And I just wasn't impressed with McDaniels the last couple of years. I really wasn't. I didn't think he did a very good job. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't dig into any of the low hanging fruit, either the play action game RPOs, which Mac was really good at. He had 32 attempts last year. I wish he did right. more when it comes to that. Or so, just chucking it downfield and trying to get a PI. Like, yeah. It, everything was this high degree of difficulty Jenga stack. McDaniels, he's trying to build these 12, 13 play drives. And you know what? Sometimes move the ball downfield, make the defense think you're going to go deep on them, anything. And yeah, they just take, didn't do it. Yeah. Take some of the easy stuff, which they never did. The layups. They never had that in their arsenal last year. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you think locally, because you're there and I'm 3,000 miles away, but I obviously have a lot of connective tissue, but it's not the same as if I was there. Like, I just get a better feel for it. On a scale of one to 10, how much do you think the fan base believes in Mac as somebody that can win a Super Bowl in New England someday? I would say six-ish at six -ish. this point. Interesting. Yeah. You'll get a lot of people that for whatever reason don't like Mac, whether it's just because they didn't like him pre-draft or whatever, or because maybe he's just a system quarterback. So I would say around a six, which I think is fair. I think he's one of these quarterbacks that needs more help than obviously Tom did. And hopefully down the road, the Patriots get him more help. So, hey, Bill, before we let you go, um, did I convince you to go over on the Patriots win total? It's eight and a half. <laughs> yeah. So as a Pats fan, obviously we'd go over and that would be the homer pick. I don't see the roadmap to over 500 with this team. And I, and look, the best case for it is that they've been in this situation before and over and over again, they have surprised people and there's no more dangerous Patriots team than a Patriots team that is being discounted and devalued and ignored. And sadly, that's the best case for this team is that I don't think anybody thinks they're good. Myself included. I'm ha I'm perfectly willing to be surprised, but like this Miami game, there's three and a, it's the line's been between two and a half and three and a half. It's probably going to settle at three and a half. Who's taking the paths? I'm just betting against Tua. Right. That's your case, right? And I think. But I think for the most part, I think Miami is going to be a really like sexy pick by the time we get to Sunday. I think that line's going to go to four. 
and I could I could see a scenario where the Pats win in Miami week one and people are like, oh, Belichick, he did it again. He rope doped us. <laughs> and oh my, how did we fall for that? And then Buffalo loses to the Rams and all of a sudden the Pats are winning the AFC East after week one. And we're like, God, how do we not see this? <laughs> so that's what I'm holding on to, Brian Barrett. All right. That is Bill Simmons. Thanks so much for coming on, man. I hope you had a good time venting a little bit on the Patriots offseason. This will not be the only time I'm on this podcast in 2022. You're doing a great job, though. I'm so glad we have it. It's been fun to have you aboard. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. Remember, we're going to be recording after every single Patriots game. So it starts week one as the Pats get ready to take on the Dolphins in Miami. So we'll have a pod up for you on Sunday night. And if you do want to react to anything that happened in that Patriots game, Remember, you can leave us a voicemail, 617-396-7172. Again, that number is 617-396-7172. We're going to be back on Thursday with Ryan Rosillo. We'll get into everything going on with the Celtics. How do they replace Danilo Gallinari now that he's done for the season? Thanks so much to Isaiah Blakely and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat tomorrow. <laughs> 